Revelation chapter 19. In verse 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true saints of God. So this morning I just want to concern myself with that aspect alone. As I said to you, there are many images all through the scriptures that show us who Jesus is. I mean, for instance, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. So we know he's a shepherd. But for this portion this morning, I just want to focus on this passionate bridegroom called Jesus. Hello. Jesus is a lovesick bridegroom who is passionately in love with his bride and cannot wait to enter into the marriage supper that has been prepared for them who are part of this bridal company. Now, in order for you to fully appreciate what this all means for us, you must understand that the Bible, when it was written, was written through the Jewish focal point or focal reference. So if you are to understand precisely what it means to be a bride or a bridegroom, you have to go back and understand the Jewish concept of marriages to give you the appreciation for what is happening right now. For instance, when we have our normal wedding ceremonies, even till today, have you ever wondered why the groom is always one standing here from the very beginning of the ceremony? And we wait for the bride to enter and everybody stands and the ceremony begins? Where did we get that tradition from? What is that saying to us as a body? We just read Revelation chapter 19. It talks about a marriage supper that's already planned. The menu is already done. Table is set. And the Bible says this groom is there, but that the bride must make herself ready. So in our regular marriage ceremonies, the groom is already standing up with his best man. What is happening with the bride at that time? She's still getting ready. She's preparing herself. So for us to understand what God is saying to us when he talks about Jesus being a passionate groom, a lovesick lover, one that has uh, uh, determined to marry a bride and is now waiting for him, it's important for us to understand what happens in a regular Jewish concept. The Jewish wedding consisted of two distinct parts. The first part is the betrothal or the engagement, which is not the same as the engagement that we understand here in the realm when we do them. The, the best way for me to describe that to you 
will be in Matthew chapter 1. Let's go there for a minute. So you understand the kind of commitment that comes with engagements. Here, we break engagements. People get engaged, and they break it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Another transition says to divorce her secretly. Now, this is this, 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 this question. If they were just betrothed or engaged, where is there any for a divorce? Or putting away secretly? Because in our society, in our understanding, when you're engaged to a person or you're betrothed to a person, it does not carry with it the same, come of, same sort of commitment that we see here. And that's why it's important for you, if you are to understand who your bridegroom is and who you are as a bride, you need to understand the Jewish concept of marriage. And I know for all of us that are men here, thinking of you as a bride is a very awkward feeling. I understand that. So there are two parts. There's the betrothal, and then there's the actual wedding. Now, the betrothal has several segments to it. Number one, you have the arrangement for the marriage or for the proposal. And in a Jewish custom or in a Jewish, Jewish concept, this arrangement can take any of three forms. Number one, the father can arrange for a wife or a bride for his son. We saw that in the case of Samson. Secondly, their father can send an agent to represent him to make a proposal. And then thirdly, the son himself can do so. Amen? Now, so there is the arrangement. And in this case, during the arrangement, the young man brought money and a wedding contract and a flask of wine. In other words, this young man already knows what he wants. So when they make this proposal, it is with the understanding that, listen, in this wedding, there's a contract, and this is exactly what the expectations are, so the woman knows what she's getting into when she says yes or no. So the arrangement is number one. Secondly, there's a bridal price that must be paid, like a dowry. The two men discussed and agreed upon the price that will be paid to purchase the bride. It changed her status. Once the price is paid, this is what makes this one so significant. Once the agreement has been struck and the price is paid, immediately the bride's family receives that price. Her status changed immediately. Even though she remained at home, it was with the understanding that she remained at home only for a season while the groom is preparing to come and fetch her. Number three. So first the arrangement. Secondly, the price is paid. Number three, now there's a wedding contract. The groom proposes, and when she consents, the contract is, is, is written up, it becomes binding, and this wedding contract lays out all the groom's promises 
of provision for his bride and he details about the wedding arrangements. When that is done and the contract is read and it's satisfactory to both of them, then we go to number four. There's a bridal gift that must be given. Once the proposal was agreed upon, the price was paid, the contract signed, and they drank wine together. In the drinking of the wine, the bride commits to the groom. They are now betrothed and considered married. The groom gives a bride, gives a brother gift to his bride, a reminder to his bride of his love for her and his coming to receive her as his wife. Are you following me so far? So, the arrangement is done. The price is paid. The contract is, is, is read and agreed upon. The gift is given. Now, lastly, there's a period in the betrothal. What happens is, after the gift has been given, the two persons are considered married but living apart. It will take a divorce to break what's happened so far in these stages. The groom will leave after all of this ceremony is done with a statement. He will tell the bride, I must go back to my father's house to prepare a place for you so that on that wedding night, I will come back and take you and you will be with me forever. True story. This is what's so neat about it. There is never a date set as to when the groom is coming back. And the reason is very simple. The groom cannot with any certainty tell the bride when the preparation will be completed. Because he actually returns back to his father's house to begin to build an extension for where he's going to bring his bride. So he has no idea. He may have a season, but there's no way he can say it's going to be November 11th November 15th, when I'm coming back, so he just says, everything is done, we have a commitment, I'm going back to my father's house, and I'll return at the right time to pick you up. No announcements given as to the day of return. Now, it gets better. So the bride understands that from the moment the man leaves, she has to begin her preparation. She does not know when it's coming back. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week, next month, next year. So she cannot presume anything. She must be instant in season and out of season. True story. Now, on the day of the wedding itself, this is the second part. When the groom is now ready to come and get his wife, at a time determined by his father, the bridegroom returns for the, for the bride. Since the exact time it was a surprise, the bride had to be ready. The groomsmen ran ahead of the groom to sound the shafar, to make a shout. And the bridal company, as they begin to approach, will begin to hear the shout on the streets. And immediately, the bride will know, wait a minute, this is an unusual sound. This must be my 
preparation. This must be my groomsman coming back for me. I immediately begin to start getting dressed to come and meet this guy. And it usually happens only at night. Now, let's unpack this a little bit. How many of you have read in the scriptures in Genesis and you wonder how Jacob could have married Leah didn't know who he was, she was? It happened at night. It's at night. And they don't have floodlights, street lights like we do now. It happened at night. You read Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the virgins. You read the whole context of that parable where the ten virgins were waiting. When did it happen? At night. At night. Because when they went out to buy oil at night, they didn't know when the guy was coming. He came while they were gone. They shut the door and they missed the whole thing. Are you following me so far? Now let's unpack this. We say Jesus is a bridegroom. Now let's, let's break it down. The Bible says very clearly in 1 John 4, let's go there. 1 John chapter 4. Hallelujah. 1 John 4, verse 19. That we love him because he first loved us. So, first thing we know is that Jesus is pursuing us with passionate love and longing for us. And may I just say this to us this morning, that the Bible says in John 3, 17, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That's amazing because the love that God has for the world and for all of us is so intense. He's not looking for anyone to be condemned, but rather that through his son that everyone might be saved. So the first thing we know is that he loves us. Secondly, we know that he has paid a full price for us. How did he pay it? With his life. In a Jewish context, the groom takes a brother gift, a dowry, in order for them, um, a price, yeah, a dowry to get married. In this case, Jesus did so with his own life. He paid the price. Thirdly, he invites us into his covenant relationship that explains the terms, gives us the word that explains the term of our relationship with him. Number four, remember the Jewish uh, tradition wedding? Whenever the wedding is consummated, um, not consummated, whenever they, 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 they set the price and they sign a contract, what did what did the guy do? He left a gift. Well, Jesus has done the same thing with us. Ephesians chapter 1. The Bible says he gave us the Holy Spirit as a surety, as a deposit to help us know he's coming back. That's what that gift does. When that bride receives the gift during this engagement period, she had the understanding, she was fully assured that the man that led the gift was coming out to get the, the, the substance, the essence, the person. So that's what the Holy Spirit is intended to be doing in our lives even now. And then number, the, number, number five, we've read the scripture so many times, it's never made more sense to me than now. In John chapter 14, let your house not be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. Of course, there will be many mansions. Why? Because he's, he's, he's creating new mansions for all the brides he's getting. I've got to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be there also. Jesus is preparing a place 
for his bridal company right now as we speak. And I'm hoping that many of us that are here today will be part of that bridal company. In Jesus' name. Not only that, lastly, he promises to return and complete the marriage. That which we began, he will finish it. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's not going to start anything that he will not finish. Amen? So I want you to see this Jesus. I want you to see this groom, like the man that stands at the altar waiting for his wife, the expectation that is on his heart. That's the kind of expectation God has for you and I even right now. He's looking forward with serious eagerness for that day when we can come together in union and have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, knowing this, what should be my response? How should I respond to this? If I know that Jesus, the same Jesus we read about all through the scriptures, is actually a bridegroom and actually planning to have us as his bride. Number one, the first response is we need to receive him. If you're here and you're not born again, you need to be born again to, be part, to become part of this brother company so that you can be a part of this covenant relationship is offering to us. That's where it starts. From Revelation chapter 19, let me read it one more time. Let's go back and read it again. Amen. Verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Part of that readiness is being born again. Verse 9, Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, so you have to be called to it and the way to be called to it is you need to be born again. This is not just a mental ascent. This is actually saying, Jesus, you know what? I recognize your love. I appreciate your love. Is that Emmanuel back there? That's Emmanuel. I say, what? It's good to see you, my friend. Be sure to shake my hand before you leave. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. So you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Are there any brides here this morning? Yes, sir. Yes. That's the first point. Is everybody here born again this morning? Wow. It's like the anointing went up the, through the roof. You see, if these things are not real, if they're not true, if we don't know this for real in our hearts, everything we read is a waste. He paid the price. He wants to come back and get us. But the first condition is you have to be a part of his covenant which is enacted to the power of his blood, and which means we must be born again. We must be born again. There must be a change, a heart change, a transplantation must have taken place in our heart. That's number one. So we're going to pray this at the end of this word. If you're not born again, we want to make sure you be born again. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says, I stand at the door and knock. It's knocking at the door of your heart. If as I'm speaking right now, you're feeling a tug in your heart, that's because Jesus is standing knocking at the door of your heart. He wants you to be born again. Secondly, secondly, to be a part of this company, you have to receive the Holy Spirit. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Because it's through the Spirit of God that we begin to see the revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus is like a diamond in many facets. He's a shepherd. He's a groom. 
It's a judge. It's a king. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. But it takes the power of the Holy Spirit for you to know who or what it is to you at a particular time. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit for me and you to know what ministry is offered to you right now. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal him. He wants to show him to us. So number one, we must be born again. Number two, we must receive the Holy Spirit. And last, and not the least, in this message, we must prepare ourselves for his return. How do we prepare ourselves? There are four quick things I need to show you for that. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2, no, chapter 11. Be born again, receive the Holy Spirit, and then prepare ourselves. Second Corinthians 11. Look at what it says in verse 2. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. Ho, 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 look at what it says. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as chaste virgin to Christ. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to be a part of this supper, you have got to show a personal devotion and loyalty. You cannot have many grooms. You cannot be having an affair. You have to show yourself devoted. That's number one of your preparation. So your preparation, in this time of preparation, you, I mean, can you imagine the bride for whom the price has been paid, received the gift, and the man says, I'm going to come back and, bring, and take you. Can you imagine her going, going out with somebody else? During a wedding period. It's almost unimaginable. So for you and I, we need to read the terms of the covenant and become personally devoted to him. Secondly, we must be yielding to the Holy Spirit to shape our attitudes and behavior. This is all part of our preparation. Yielding to the Holy Spirit to shape our attitudes and behavior. And there is no better way to show you that than the book of Esther. There is no better way to show it to you. Esther chapter 2 verse 15. Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had been, who had, who, who had, I'm sorry, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what her guy, the king's Enoch, the custodian of the woman, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. That is so instructive to know that in that day, all the young maidens in the palace who were looking to become the next queen had a choice to wear or prepare in any way they liked, that they liked. And when it was Esther's turn, she just totally completely resigned her preparation to her guy, who was the custodian of the woman who is the type of the Holy Spirit. Simply saying, you know what? I don't know what the king likes, but you do. I'm just going to put my case in your hand. Dress me up. Dress me up. So what I'm saying to us is, we are devoted to him in, in, in being loyal. We know the terms of the covenant. And we are now saying to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, shape me. Make me. Mold me. Put on me what will make me the befitting bride for my groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I'm not going to run after designer clothes or name brands, so to speak. But Holy Spirit, you know the brand that's going to make him feel like the groom you call him to be to me. Very, very important. So you and I must be yielding to the Holy Spirit. Whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, yield to him. Yield. Thirdly, in Matthew 25, verse 10, actually in that Matthew 25, you can see all the three aspects of who Jesus is in the book of Revelation. He was a king, he was a groom, and he was a judge. All in Matthew chapter 25. I, I don't want to get into all of that. Uh, so, we have personal devotion, we yield to the Holy Spirit, and then of course, Matthew 25, verse 10, we are giving ourselves to prayer and the word of God. We are pursuing God's presence and his power through his word. Through his word. And lastly, the last thing I want to leave us with is Revelation chapter 19, again, verse 7, a scripture that we've read about three times already today. But let me make one emphasis. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. Actually, verse 8. Verse 8. And to hide was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the white linen, or for the fine linen, is the righteous acts of the saints. I've never really paid enough attention to that. You know, it's, it's, we read this thing so, so quickly. Notice what it says. Righteous acts of the saints. So righteousness has some acts. It's not just about being righteous. As a righteous person, there are some accompanying acts that show us that you are righteous. Now remember the portion of this message I'm giving you. My response to this groom. My response. My response. How do I respond to this groom? Number one, I must be born again. Number two, I must have the Holy Spirit. Number three, I must uh, prepare myself. And how do I prepare myself? That's what I'm talking about now. Loyalty, yielding to the Holy Spirit, prayer and the word, and then the acts of righteousness. What is that? What is that? I'm going to close on that this afternoon. What is the righteous acts? What is that? Now, for you to understand it, I need to take you to a couple of scriptures. Let's go first of all to Deuteronomy chapter 24. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 24. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, let's start from verse 18. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 18. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field, and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the bulls again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, therefore I command you to do this thing. So what is this all about? First, you need to understand the context of what God is saying. What God said here that I just read to you has to do with the time of harvest. Time of harvest. What is the season of harvest in Israel? Pentecost. Pentecost. That's when they begin to get their first fruits. Okay? So what God is saying to you and I is we need to be filled with the Spirit. 
But being filled with the Spirit, though, has corresponding righteous acts. There is no being filled with the Spirit and don't have a corresponding righteous acts to go with it. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Let me show you this in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to say it and then we're going to be done. Acts chapter 2. What just happened here in Acts chapter 2? Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as their spirit gave them utterance. Is that correct? Now look at verse 40. Look at verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received this word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to, the, to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders were Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now look at verse 44. Now all who believed were together and all had, all had things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided among all as everyone had need. What am I just showing you? There is an act that follows your righteousness. It is the act of compassion and generosity. Wherever the Holy Spirit is moving and people are filled with the Spirit of God, you will see a corresponding act of compassion or generosity. So what I'm saying here is what we just read in Revelation chapter 19 verse 8 is that not only were there the bride, but they had on fine linen, which the Bible says that was the righteous acts of the saints. So if you are going to prepare yourself as a bride of Jesus that is coming back for, that has to be part of your portfolio. We cannot walk past the needs of people around us and just not be sensitive to it. You can't meet every need. That's not what I'm saying. But at least can be moved with compassion. Amen. We have a groom this morning. His name is Jesus. He loves us passionately. He is not here to condemn you. He's here to lift you up, to bless you, to uplift you, to raise you, to bring you to where he is. That's what his mission is. And if we are faithful and prepared, the day comes when we'll be a part of this bridal company having this marriage supper of the land with him. Let that encourage you as you go this week. No matter what you come against, no matter what comes against you, be encouraged by knowing that God has paid a price for you. And he paid that price with his own life. And because he's paid the price, he's not going to let you waste. He's coming back to get you to himself. Amen? As I close there, is there anybody here this afternoon that says, you know, I want to be part of this bridal company. I want to be born again. Is there anybody here like that today? I want to be born again. I want to be sure that I will be a part of this bridal company. This is the 
starting point. This is the entry point of being part of the bride. Must be born again. There is no one. Okay? Is there anyone that says, Pastor, Pastor, I've been born again. But I still don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is anybody here today like that? Anybody? No one. So everybody here should be hearing God accurately. Talk to me. I said everybody here should be hearing God accurately all of the time. 